Hi, everyone. Welcome to this new FinTech Scotland podcast episode. I hope you're all doing well. Today, we'll be speaking about cybersecurity in the world of FinTech. And to do so, I surrounded myself with some great experts today. First of all, we've got Sophie Lank, Chief Creative Technology Officer at Ionburst. Hi, Sophie. Thank you for spending time with us today. Hi, Mikhail. Thanks so much for having me. It's brilliant to be here. No problem at all. And could, could you tell our audience a bit more about Ionburst? Yeah, of course. Um, so... Ironburst is a advanced data protection company. So we believe data privacy is a human right. At Ironburst, our mission is to make this a reality. So Ironburst is the world's first data defense in depth platform designed to protect digital assets of any type across their entire life cycle from the data outward. And um, our strap line, not to make it too brave heart, is we may guard your data, but we'll never take its freedom. So. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Thank you. We're we also joined by Tiffin Ma, who is a reader in business informatics, also program director of the MSc in Advanced Technology for Financial Computing um, at the University of Edinburgh Schools of Informatics. Tiffin, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael, for inviting me to be here. No problem. And do you want to say a bit more about the work you do at the university? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my work actually is joined in between risk modeling in uh, uh, in the finance sector and also on cyber risk analysis. So at University of Edinburgh, Cyber Informatics is a world top uh, uh, research organization. I think last year, uh, School of Informatics ranked the world top 15 uh, informatics schools across the globe. My work within informatics is very much across the disciplinary work related to financial computing as well as the cyber risk modeling, jointly in between informatics and School of Business. And within School of Informatics, I work with colleagues on cyber, which is one of the largest group, cybersecurity research group in UK, and host one of UK's uh, prestigious cybersecurity research center of excellence, granted by GCCQ and UK government. So my work is pretty much on the research side, but I enjoy very much working with various in uh, industry sectors on modern risks, data analysis, so I also work within the Bates Center, uh, where actually it's a Scottish data technology laboratory to work with various industry partners, particularly uh, fintech firms, to work on tackling their industry research problems. I'm also leading the new master program in uh, financial computing, which we are trying to educate the next generation talent of tackling the fintech and uh, uh, technology challenges. That's pretty much my work. Thank you. You're a very busy man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for spending some time today with us, therefore, today. Um, and finally, but not least, welcome to Roddy McCallum, Country Manager at Checkpoint Software Technologies, one of our strategic partners. Thank you for your time, Roddy, and uh, great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks, Mikhail. Pleasure to be here. And could you introduce Checkpoint maybe to those who might not know the company? Yeah, absolutely. So for anybody who doesn't know who Checkpoint Software Technologies are, uh, we are the largest cyber security vendor globally. Um, we were founded almost 30 years ago um, by a man called Gil Swed. Um, Gil actually to this day holds the patent for the world's first ever packet inspection firewall. 
um, which is amazing when you consider that the firewall was effectively the, the thing that started the cybersecurity industry. Um, so to work for the company that actually founded that solution is a real honor. Um, and obviously, uh, throughout the last 30 years, we've continued to develop um, our solutions to ensure that we can work with our customers um, to deliver uh, security solutions for modern day threats as well. So according to the European Union Agency for Cybersecurity, uh, the UNISA, cyber threat seems to be on the rise and the COVID-19 situation seems to have been an accelerant with attacks on homes, businesses and governments. Uh, can I ask you all about your views on the current cyber threat landscape? Yeah, certainly, Michaela, I, I can go first there. So I think in terms of the, the cyber landscape, um, that's probably one of the reasons I enjoy working for Checkpoint as much as I do, because it's such an exciting environment to work in, because the cyber landscape at the moment, it, it can almost change on a daily basis. Um, you can't go a day or two without opening up a newspaper or turning on the telly and seeing that there's been a new cyber attack. Um, and typically that cyber attack is using a different technique, a different type of ransomware, targeting a different industry sector. So the landscape itself is ever changing. Um, I think um, 10 years ago, a lot of organizations and cybersecurity professionals would have probably classed um, having a, a firewall on their perimeter, having some basic antivirus on their endpoint and maybe some DLP controls as a really robust cyber security infrastructure. Um, but nowadays, just in the last two or three years, technology has moved on so much that we've got brand new environments that organizations and security professionals hadn't had to consider before. So things like, just off the top of my head, um, public cloud and private cloud, which creates hybrid cloud environments, um, the acceleration of remote working, obviously COVID being um, an anomaly, and even without COVID, remote working was becoming more of um, the norm. Um, mobile working, um, things like SOC and SOAR, IoT and OT, SaaS-based applications, etc. These are all environments that five or six years ago security professionals weren't even having to consider. Now they're having to try and bake that into their cybersecurity strategy and ensure that they are investing in the right technologies and people and resources to secure their environments against these modern day threats as well. Um, in terms of COVID, um, you're absolutely right. Uh, some, some statistics from checkpoints is that we've actually seen a 500% increase in ransomware wow. attacks uh, since the start of COVID. Um, so attackers are taking advantage of the fact that um, a lot of organisations, staff are working in new environments um, and, and they're really targeting that. Yeah, no, um, to add to uh, Roddy's point, I think there's some some great um, observations there. I, I personally believe the threat landscape isn't necessarily changing, but the environment itself. So threats are being exacerbated by the nature of the world we're living in now. So um, as Roddy kind of mentioned, COVID has accelerated remote working. So we're now in an always on work anywhere cloud connected world. And because of this, the blast radius for security incidents is so much bigger. So what would have been small internal issues for organizations become cloud scale leaks and breaches. The consistent theme for the last few years of research has been billions of records that have been leaked or breached through vast amounts originate from cloud misconfigurations. And the biggest change is the move away from defined cyber perimeters or boundaries um, because there isn't a perimeter anymore. We now have, you know, 
cybersecurity where we're working from home or we're working, um, you know, anywhere remotely. So um, we have to consider that as a factor. And finally, and more fundamentally, at Ironburst, we believe there's a fundamental gap in the cloud shared responsibility model. Um, cloud providers are experts in building security in the infrastructure that runs the cloud, but leave the security responsibility for data stored on the cloud to the customer. And this works for large organizations or cyber specialists, um, such as Checkpoint, but you, who can afford to build security teams to deal with this um, and smaller organizations that just want to leverage cloud and its benefits. You know, how do they cope in this new cyber threat landscape? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I totally agree with uh, Rodi and Sophie's statement. Perhaps I'm just a little bit on the individual side of the cyber uh, cyber challenges. Well, for organizations uh, and the firms who work remotely in the cloud, public private cloud spaces, actually, the COVID is not just acceleration for organizations for doing that online. It's also actually pushed lots of individuals, consumers, who traditionally are not used to do things online, but not being forced to do things online. For example, buying things on Amazon, supermarket shopping, uh, and many other things. So what, what I observed actually is uh, COVID become a great accelerator to push a vast amount of population and people who actually become new onto the internet age, but not be <coughs> cyber uh, uh, security or cyber threat aware of the, of the malicious behavior online. And they become a very vulnerable uh, to the cyber attacks. And also because the new technologies such as AI uh, uh, as well as blockchain that uh, allows actually the cyber uh, 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 malicious people would be able to do targeted social engineering to individuals who are actually more vulnerable you know, than the working people or capable people. And then once they become successful, they can actually wash away the monetary benefit from one country to another country without the regulators' sanity checkings uh, pretty easily, for example, through Bitcoins. Uh, and because people need to pay money online these days from finance perspective or from so like a, you know, a fintech revolution perspective, that actually also become a factor that accelerate and incentivize the cyber attackers to actually take advantage from individuals and get a financial benefit from them and take money away with digital currencies. That is a little bit actual I want to amend. No, thank you, Tijan. And you mentioned fintech, which is great because that let, let us go back to the theme of the, the podcast episode. Do you think fintech generally are well prepared uh, for cyber attacks and cyber threats? Uh, well, I, I thought about this uh, uh, kind of questions all the time, and the answer I have to say, I have to say is a yes and a no. Uh, depends. So, well, fintech has a variety of landscape, depends on, you know, uh, involves every aspect of people's life where money is needed. Well, for many fintech firms, they actually provide the solutions that actually make people more cyber resilient to the potential attacks. For example, mobile security authentication, facial recognition, all that kind of technologies uh, with AI and with cloud securities to guard date people's data or organizations' uh, data, that actually definitely improves the the, the resilience of separate threats uh, uh, for organizations and for individuals. However, on the other hand side, 
because of the fintech technology evolution, well, consumers and uh, individuals, as I mentioned, may or may not be actually be familiar enough or capable of dealing with of all these technologies in a way that technology should be used. And that becomes a wonderful point uh, for cyber attackers. So that is sort of yes and no. On the other hand side, well, even within the fintech sectors, there are large organizations and there are SMEs. Well, often the large, you know, uh, 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 market leaders will have all the resources to actually put the security guard for their tech, for their infrastructure, for their customer, and for their businesses, uh, with through billions of pounds or dollars per year. Well, SMEs, well, they can be fintech startups or can be small organizations, which have to accept that they don't have the old resources to fight against the cyber attacks and the threats uh, alone by themselves. They have to accept that there are risks for them and there might be some vulnerabilities. The issue of this landscape actually is, well, large organizations are not working by themselves alone. They will have collaborators, they will have their supply chains, uh, business networks. So the boundary of the cyber vulnerability have been changed. It's not just about a single organization's cyber defense. It's actually the whole network chain of network depends on which uh, 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 sort of part of the network is vulnerable. And if your collaborator is vulnerable, then that brings vulnerability to you. So that is how actually, I have to say, the fintech sectors may actually have a mixed landscape in my view. Thank you very much. Rosie, Sophie, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, on you, Sophie. No, no, go for it. Sorry, Roddy. No, I was going to say, I, I would have a similar answer in terms of, of probably yes and no. Um, I, I would say no, um, because I don't think any organisation can think that they are prepared to face cyber threats because of that expanding landscape. And I actually like Sophie's analogy a little bit better than mine. Um, I think we had the same points in terms of changing, expanding, but I think expanding is a better way to look at it, actually. So um, I don't think any organisation um, is in a position where they can say that they're absolutely prepared to face that expanding threat landscape, um, because if they have that mindset, then I think they can get complacent, um, which is a terrible thing to do. Um, in terms of uh, why I think they are in a position, um, certainly or a better position than most organisations or sectors is, is probably twofold. First and foremost, um, a lot of the financial services customers that we work with typically have access to larger budgets uh, than um, other industry sectors like SMBs and public sectors, etc., just through the nature of what they do. Um, but also, I see a real different mentality uh, when engaging with fintech organisations, no matter how large or small, um, because I honestly do believe that um, the security professionals that work in fintech really understand and appreciate the fact that they are managing and working with really sensitive data. Um, and I think that they actually take security um, seriously and they try and embed it into the DNA of their company from day one. So I definitely think that approach and that mindset helps fintech um, prepare for cyber threats better than a lot of other industry sectors. Yeah, no, definitely, Brody. I um, I agree. I think um, the the only thing I would add is one thing that um, fintech and the financial sector in um, particular um, brings up and is a consistent message across as a major risk and issue is data concentration on one provider. 
and are now being they're now being required to use multiple providers. Um, but this comes with its kind of trade-off of security downfalls where you know it increases your blast radius of potential attracts. It also requires organizations to have security skills and expertise in-house for each provider. But one thing that I think fintechs are incredibly strong at and all FS organizations have to deal with, and to Roddy's point as well, they have to deal a lot with compliance so they have a better understanding and a more rich um, base of how to protect customer information and a passion towards that. Yeah. Although in the cloud world, there is that issue of it does pose additional friction today. Um, so I do believe there should be a service that enables these organizations to be compliant out the box so they can focus on what really matters, which is protecting their customers. And in the absence of such a mechanism, what would you say are the best ways for a fintech to assess their cybersecurity readiness? So um, from my perspective, it would be starting with the basics and getting them right. There's no silver bullets in cybersecurity. Um, so knowing what your your assets are, and that comes into data, technology, cloud, supply chain, dependencies on vendors, as um, has been mentioned by Tujan, and um, people. So knowing the threats that face them as well. So you have a, a good map of all your kind of risk vectors as well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, getting the basics right. Um, as well as uh, making the right investments in the security technologies that your organisation needs. Um, but I also think there's a lot of things that organisations can do that um, that kind of don't really cost that much or uh, reaffirms that kind of uh, basics approach, which is things like offline backups. Um, you know, one of the simplest and most effective tools against ransomware is to back up your systems locally on a regular basis. Um, you know, restrict permissions, for example. Um, you know, it's generally um, noted that malicious software can't take over a computer if the user account doesn't have the ability to make changes at a root level. Um, you know, keep your software up to date. Um, you know, we have seen instances where malicious code piggybacks on legitimate software, and but in general, you are safer if you keep your systems regularly updated. So both in terms of security patches uh, for your operating systems, but as well as you know antivirus software that can isolate and remove malware. Um, and one of the most basic um, but fundamentals is don't click on unknown links. Um, you know, educate your employees um, to never click on links and emails or text messages that, that are not from a trusted source. You know, hackers have gotten far more sophisticated in recent times, uh, meaning that organisations have to be increasingly careful whenever you open an email. But as a general rule, you know, if you weren't expecting to be sent something to download, you know, don't click it. And there yeah, are um, steps you can you can take to. Yeah, I totally agree with both Roddy and Sophie's uh, suggestions. Actually, so in terms of the cyber basics, uh, get the, the basics done. UK government, the National Cybersecurity Center, and GCHQ a couple of years ago, working with UK academic universities, including Edinburgh, to build up a cyber essential guidance for uh, UK firms. That is more, let's say, in a, in a sort of uh, a layman term, like a driving license for firms to sort of say, if you're running a business online related to cyber, then make sure you pass through those uh, cyber essential tests so that you get the basic done properly and, and uh, knowing exactly what are the bottom line of the work you need to do 
for uh, to protect your business. Uh, and also another thing we suggested with uh, the government as well as many business firms is training your employees with what are the essential uh, fundamental important knowledge about cyber. So your employee actually is your boundary of, of your cyber defense. So uh, in addition, actually, so there are a couple of firms actually, you know, uh, which have been successfully applied the cyber security uh, 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 so e e activities each employee should achieve as part of the KPI, annual review, promotion, or even bonus to make sure the employees of the companies have a collective effort of defending their company's business and as incentive for their future career. Uh, last but not least, perhaps, is cyber defense for any business is not a single department of business tasks, nor actually that can be delegated just be for external organization. Right? Any firms need to use the cross-wisdom of their employees' collective intelligence to actually understand what are the important assets and what are the potential vulnerabilities for their business and how they should protect them. So that's what I can add on this. Thank you. Some great point there. And obviously, you, you guys don't have a crystal ball, but what are your predictions in terms of future threats? Uh, in, the, in the research communities, what we can actually see as a trend is, but because our technology is actually moving very fastly, on the positive side, actually, there are more and more defense technologies which help sort of protect the people and protect the businesses. However, on the other hand side, actually similar technologies, for example, AI has been adopted because the bar is so much lower than before by the cyber uh, malicious people as well. And they can do such a cyber attacks in a much more efficient, effective way uh, to a massive population with very little costs. So yeah. that, that is actually what I see as a trend of targeted individual social engineering attacks using AI techniques by a small number, perhaps uh, malicious people, but highly professional, which will have a massive population-wide impact. That is one of the trends I'm seeing. And also perhaps the damage of potential cyber attacks can be much more larger than what we can uh, imagine these days. For example, automated uh, driving cars. And if we imagine a situation, if any cyber attackers actually manage to control the automa uh, uh, automatic driving cars, right? what might be happen? Or maybe, you know, uh, uh, satellites or military weapons. So those are become the situation we are not really considered previously, but might become a trend in the future. So we need to seriously consider all of these potentials. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think one of the things that I see um, potentially becoming more relevant in the future is uh, multi-vector attacks. Um, so again, we've, we've spoken quite a lot about how the cyber landscape is expanding, um, and I definitely see um, a risk around you know um, attackers targeting multiple different areas of an organisation at the same time uh, to gain access. Um, but I definitely agree around um, IoT and OT. It's an area that actually I'm quite passionate about. Um, I do see that becoming more and more part of our lives as, as citizens. Um, you know, we're already seeing uh, the Scottish government announce things like smart cities, uh, smart lighting systems, uh, smart waste collection, etc. Um, and these are all programmes of work to improve our lives. 
but they come with fundamental and and, and potentially life threatening security concerns. So j just like um, we've just mentioned there around smart cars, um, you know, it's it's not even worth thinking about if uh, um, uh, an attacker got access to the water control systems or the power control systems of Scotland, or if they got access to the um, traffic control systems and they were able to turn all of the the red lights green. Uh, at a certain point in the day, which could actually cause life-threatening injuries to, to Scottish citizens. So I definitely think that's something that we're going to start to see more and more of, um, and it's a conversation that Checkpoint are, are really at the floor of. Yeah, no, that that's um, great great points by uh, both of you. I think it's also kind of a terrifying uh, <laughs> concept to think about in a way. Um, it's kind of something out of a sci-fi movie, but there's, um, I remember, I think in the past year, we've had, what, Google go down for a day and no one could search, so everyone kind of um, lost their minds on Twitter. <laughs> and, um, you know, Alexa, um, when Amazon uh, went out for the day, um, no one could turn on their lights, so it was quite an interesting um Twitter uh, observation study but no that's um, totally with you both there um, the only three um, I have three kind of predictions in my crystal ball um, and <laughs> Mikkel so I'm not entirely sure how relevant they'll be but I'll, I'll do my best um, so the first one is um, larger scale breaches driven by cloud security issues and misconfiguration um, the second is an increase in ransomware as a service attacks, which seems to be on the rise and becoming more and more pertinent. And the third is an increase in supply chain attacks, like on the colonial pipeline that happened and disrupted for the industry for quite a, a while and is still kind of being discussed on yeah. how to address things. Um, so uh, the last two allow for widespread distribution that impact hundreds, if not thousands of organizations at a time kind of like a lot of these future um, predictions. And it seems to be, you know, mass impact very quickly, um, all the attacks that are coming up now. Thank you. Thank you. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Uh, I'd love to continue this chat. Um, so thank you to the three of you for taking part. Um, I learned a lot and I'm sure our audience did too. Um, so thank you again. Uh, goodbye, everyone, and we'll be back for a new episode in a couple of weeks. Bye, -bye. bye guys. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye.